What the puke does Spangle even mean? This is Happy Life Studios. This message is for you. This message is for you. This message is singular to you. It's not for anybody else. It's not hard to get. It's not hard to get. It's not hard to understand. Hey, are you happy? Now that's a great question. Does the sun set high? Does the sun set high? Welcome to Happy Life Studios. Oh, last night I got to watch the fireworks with my family. It was amazing. Uh, my oldest son was able to bring his wife. My middle son is home from college. And so we got to all watch the fireworks a couple miles from my house. The fireworks are the, the quality of a big city fireworks that you'd want to drive into, you know, Seattle or Tacoma or something like that. Oftentimes when you get something more local, it's smaller fireworks, but these fireworks were amazing. Um, it's on a lake, and you're right there. So when it's hot, you can go swimming, or your kids can go swimming. Uh, they have concessions there, so they they had hamburgers, and of course, for Fourth of July, you have to have hot dogs, all sorts of candy. They have a live band that plays there. They even have the youth symphony will play music while the fireworks are going off. It was amazing, and it was only a couple miles from my house, so I, we didn't have to fight all the traffic that you'd have to fight in a big city. And it was just it was it was amazing. It was it was just perfect. It was just a great way to celebrate my country's birthday. Unfortunately, Christine, she wasn't feeling so well. Speaking of what the puke. So, <laughs> speaking of what the puke, what does spangle actually mean? Well, I'm glad you ask. Well, actually, I mean I'm glad I ask. Spangle is a small glittering object. It means to glitter, to set or sprinkle with spangles. Does that help at all? <laughs> That's what spangled means, okay? Uh, but I, I will bet that all of you thought of the same thing when I asked that question, what does puke does spangle mean? Well, maybe you thought of two things since I actually asked what the puke does spangle mean. Uh, maybe some of you actually thought of being sick, but I bet every one of us actually thought of the star spangled banner because that is the only time that we will ever use that word, except for those that live in Spangle, which is a city in Washington, a uh, population of 278. Uh, that's the only other time anyone would think of Spangle as in the Star Spangled Banner. Uh, the town was actually named after William Spangle, an early pioneer. But it made me smile when I think that all these years I've been singing that powerful song. I've been listening to that powerful song, all the sporting events that I've gone to, right? A song celebrating my nation's freedom, and I didn't even know or even think about what that title means, Star Spangled Banner. It shouldn't surprise me. I'm a preacher's kid, so I grew up in the church, which means I've been doing it for years, I mean, since I was able to sing hymns and choruses in church as a little tyke, uh, I have been singing songs that I didn't know what the title or the words even meant. And I am not the only one. Uh, A.W. Tozer said this, Christians don't tell lies, they just go to church and sing them. 
<laughs> so I really make it a priority for me when I'm singing a song to really, well, unless it's on the radio, but when I'm singing a song that's supposed to mean something, like when I'm singing a song in church or, or something like that, I want to pay attention to what the song is actually saying. When I'm singing songs in church that are songs about God, about our creator, about his love for us, about our love for him, things like that, um, I want to really pay attention to what's going on there. But I still catch myself from time to time reading the screen instead of grappling with the lyrics. I will be reading instead of experiencing. And I think powerful music is meant to be experienced. And I think that when we're singing about God, that's music that we should experience, not just cognitively sing, just thinking but not feeling. Because I think music makes the most sense when we do both, when we think and feel, especially if it's music that is talking about God or his love for us or our love for him or music that is celebrating a nation's freedom, right? So I think we do this with the 4th of July as well. And to be honest with you, many of our other holidays too. You know, I was just thinking about that last night when I'm when I'm sitting there watching the fireworks. Uh, for me, this year was this year was different because I did more than just feel the fireworks this year. And I mean, when I'm talking feel the fireworks, I mean, you got all that emotion going. You got the symphony playing in the background and you literally feel the fireworks. I mean, like when the first boom went off, it was so big that it set off a car alarm. <laughs> just, I mean, you're literally feeling the fireworks. And every year I feel the fireworks and I just I am moved by fireworks. I just I just love what it what it all means. Right. But this year was different because for some reason I actually thought this year as well. I've forgotten to do it all the other years, but not this year. This year, I was actually thinking what the fireworks have to do with anything. I mean, how did they get injected into my nation's birthday celebration in the first place? So as I was thinking about that, obviously, fireworks represents the bombing that we got from the British. It's like Francis Scott Key and the Star Spangled Banner, the bombs bursting in air, all that stuff, right? That's what the fireworks is symbolic of. That's kind of what the fireworks is replacing. But last night, hundreds of years later, it was a party. But the original fireworks, the bombs bursting in air were anything but a party. Francis Scott Key put it this way. He said, it seemed as though Mother Earth had opened and was vomiting shot and shell in a sheet of fire and brimstone. What the puke. <laughs> Mother Earth was actually vomiting when it actually happened, when he wrote the Star Spangled Banner. That's because he was witnessing 25 hours of constant, intense, crazy bombing of Fort McHenry in Baltimore. Actually, it was called the Battle of Baltimore. Nothing could survive that. There's no way. The, the Royal Army, the British Royal Navy, is shooting off shell after shell after shell for 24 hours? Boy, you want to talk about the earth opening up and vomiting shot and shell and a sheet of fire and brimstone? I mean, I, I could imagine how scary that would be. And, and what a great way to, to describe that, right? It was still the War of 1812. And just weeks earlier, the British had had attacked Washington, D.C., and they burnt down the Capitol. They burnt down the Treasury. They even burnt down the president's own home just weeks earlier. And now they're shelling shell after shell after shell, just vomiting up all this fire to Fort McHenry. A very scary moment. 
Have you ever felt like life was vomiting on you? Have you ever been shell-shocked? Have you ever felt like Mother Earth just opened up, just keeps pelting you with shot after shot after shot, shell after shell after shell of fire and brimstone? You just want to give up? You just want to throw your hands in the air, in the air and say, enough, stop, please, stop. I can't take this anymore. <laughs> I know that I have. And I know that I actually feel a lot like that right now. But last night we're watching the fireworks. I'm thinking, where would we be today if back then that new United States of America that, that left England for freedom and freedom of religion, where would we be today if they quit? Because that was an impossible moment. It was an impossible moment. There's no way they could survive that. I mean, the army in America was just young and they only had like 8,000 soldiers total. The British Royal Navy was massive. America couldn't even come to agreements on whether they should go to war or not. Of course, it's always that way when it comes to war. But they, you know, they, they got Congress got permission, I guess, to get 25,000 more soldiers. But no states wanted to send any soldiers to, to the battle. And some states that did, when they got to the battlefront, the soldiers of that state would just sit down and do a sit protest right on the front lines. Some felt that there shouldn't be a war and um, and they, we should deal with it, you know, with a treaty. I don't know the right way it should have been or not. I wasn't there. All I know is when the president said the order, this is where the country's going to go. At some point, we got to get behind. We got to support, but we don't volunteer and then go sit down at the front line. So, I mean, it was an impossible situation. They could have quit. I mean... I think I would have been tempted if all of a sudden I'm I'm in the battle and I'm trying to protect my country and I, you know, Britain had put all these tariffs on us and were attacking, uh, they were just attacking our freedom, quite honestly. That's kind of how the War of 1812 started, right? And so we finally just said, no, we're not going to put up with this anymore. We're not going to take it, right? We finally said that. So if all of a sudden you're standing up for that and then you get to the front line and the, the soldier next to you just sits down and says, I'm not doing it, man, I think I would have quit in that moment, but where would we be today if that would happen? If they said, enough is enough, I quit. Last night, we wouldn't have had it. I mean, last night, I'm at, at this lake down the road from my house with thousands of people, millions actually across my country, across the United States, there are millions of people celebrating freedom, being family. That's what I loved. I mean, they're all singing the YMCA. They're all singing Sweet Caroline. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, they were being community. They were celebrating freedom. They're eating all kinds of junk, listening to music. Just, I mean, we didn't need to do more of that and just hanging out with each other. All because of some very scary and quite honestly horrifying fireworks that happened centuries ago. So last night I'm watching and I'm thinking this stuff and I'm, I'm just thinking, thank you for all those of those that didn't sit down, for all those that did volunteer, for all those that fought for the freedom of the country that I live in. And I just say, thank you. And then I start thinking about all those that are fighting for my country now or all friends and family who have lost loved ones because they fought for our country. And I'm just like in the state of just being so grateful and I'm watching the fireworks and I'm almost in tears, you know? So I guess I'm saying if you're being bombarded with life right now, I get it, man. I get it. If Mother Earth is puking on you, I got some encouragement for you. Think and feel this. 
the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. I mean, think about that for a minute. Rockets, red glare, the bombs bursting in the air. We sing the song, we think about a positive moment because we know the outcome. But when it, when the people were living in that, that wasn't a positive moment. These are bombs. These are weapons of mass destruction. And it says they are the proof that the flag is still there. In the light of those rockets and those bombs is how we know that our banner of freedom is still there, that we're still alive, that we're still winning. The bombs and the rockets are the proof that we're winning. Wow, that dude, that's <laughs> that's crazy to me. And in the dawn's early light, Francis Scott Key and all the others in the battle saw the American flag and not the British one flying over the fort. America survived the onslaught, man. They survived. America had won. What if we could see that in our own lives today? We see and feel the bombs of life. We experience the terrorism that life can bring. But look closer. The banner still waves. Your flag still stands. It's tattered and torn, but it's still there. And it's screaming freedom. And of course, I'm thinking of Braveheart. You know, Braveheart screams freedom. Boy, what a powerful moment. Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave for the land of the free think about that that star-spangled banner is still there i mean i could imagine when francis scott key would just keep catching glimpses have they have they lost have they put the british flag up and every time that rocket's red glare goes off and he sees it and he goes wait a minute it's still there that thing that he was worried about being gone is still there What about that thing you're worried about being destroyed? It's still there. That thing you're worried about disappearing in your life. That love, that, that money, that, that whatever it is, it's still there. The flag, the sign of freedom, the banner, that thing you're worried about losing. It's still there. Okay. Here's a cool part why Francis Scott Key wrote the poem in the first place. Yep. A Star-Spangled Banner was a poem originally uh, called The Defense of Fort McHenry because it was an attack on Fort McHenry right around 1814. And uh, it wasn't put to music until many, many years later and didn't become America's national anthem until like hundreds of years later, literally hundreds of years later before it became the national anthem. But here's the kicker. The poem... When they made it a song, they paired it with a tune that was already out there. It was a song written by John Stafford Smith, who was not only a church organist, but he was a British composer. A British composer. The Star Spangled Banner is sung to the tune of a very popular British drinking song. And I just find that hilarious. I find it quite ironic that the Star Spangled Banner was put to the tune of a popular British drinking song. And I'm thinking,
thing. So my mind goes to these places, right? And I'm thinking I could just see a bunch of guys in a in a British pub, man, an English pub, and they're just drinking away and they're singing that song. And all of a sudden, someone else who who not even realize what they're doing starts singing the Star Spangled Banner. And <laughs> I mean, I mean, that cracks me up. And there's so much I could talk about right there. Um, but back to the why. Why did Francis Scott Key write that poem? Why did he have to watch the onslaught, the bombing and killing of his dear friends and do it from the very vessel that was doing the bombing? Why? I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like this. Like, you ever felt like the very people you are near? The very people that you are closest with, the very people you are occupying your world with, your space with, are the ones that are doing the destroying in your life? You know, are the ones that are doing the attacking? I think Bono from U2 feels that way because he said, and I quote, I have this hunger inside me. Everywhere I look, I see the evidence of a creator, but I don't see it as a religion which has cut my people in two. The hardest part about life's bombings for me is when it comes from the ship that I am currently on. From those that I have maybe sided with or that are closest to me. I mean, I expect life to hit me out of nowhere, but I don't expect it to come from those that are closest to me. Bono goes on to say that I don't see Jesus Christ as being any part of religion. What I think Bono is trying to say is this. I mean, think about it. God is love and yet religion. Now, I didn't say relationship here because it's supposed to be a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus. I'm talking about religion here. Religion is full of so much hate and bombing and destroying. And yet the Bible says that God is love. I mean, if you don't believe me, read social media, study the holy wars. I mean, how does that happen from a God who is love? The Bible says that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And yet so many in religion, not in relationship with him, but so many in religion fight so much. The Bible says that God is forgiving, that he is slow to anger, and he is abounding in love. And yet so many stuck so deep in religion are so judgmental. I've been around this thing for a long time, right? In my 50s now, I grew up in this. I know what people are going to say, well, God's a just God. I know he's just, but let him be the judge. Judging is not our role. If we are lovers of Jesus, followers and believers of God, our job is to bless others, to be blessers, not bouncers. Our job is to find out what Jesus wants us to do, and it usually has to do with other people, and then do that. When I feel attacked, it's tough, but I get it. I understand that, right? But when the attack comes from the ship I am on, it sucks the life right out of me, and I know I'm not alone in this. Jesus felt that way too, right? Everywhere Jesus went, he faced opposition from the religious leaders, not from the followers and believers of the way, but from religion. Religion was constantly trying to trip him up on his words. Religious leaders were always listening to his words to see if they could get him to contradict himself. He faced the bombing from the very ship that he came to earth to be on. I mean, think about it. Didn't they become religious leaders so they could please God? So they could do what God wanted them to do. So what happened? I think religion of God oftentimes replaces relationship with God. And when that happens, that's when we crucify God. So hold on. Here's a cool part right here. 
why Francis Scott Key ended up writing that poem was the same reason Jesus came to earth. It was for freedom. Francis Scott Key was concerned for friend Dr. William Beans, who was imprisoned by the British on one of their ships. So he, he gets in his vessel, goes out to the main ship of the British Royal Navy, and he begins to negotiate his friend's release out of prison, out of his bondage, right? Didn't Jesus do the same? He came to earth. He boarded our ship. He entered our life. He died a cruel, torturous death to negotiate our release from our prison, from our sin, from our anger, from our hurt, from our discouragement, from our depression, from our, from our pain, from racism, from hatred, from, from judging. He died a death so he could negotiate our release. The Bible says when, when he died, he went down to hell and, and he came back out of hell with the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And the cool part is, is Francis Scott Key was successful. He got his buddy released. Now they had to stay on the boat because they had found, found out about the plans to, to bomb Fort McHenry, which I couldn't imagine what that would feel like. But so they had to stay on the boat, but they, but they were free at this point, right? The question is, was Jesus successful? I mean, you could say, of course he was successful. He came and died on the cross and now we have eternal life, but not everyone takes it. I mean, God wants to give peace to us and he wants to give joy to us. He negotiated the freedom. He negotiated to set us free so we could have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And the keys are there for anyone to take. He's holding them out for us, but sadly, many won't receive it. And if I won't receive it, then was Jesus successful in my situation? Maybe they want to earn it for themselves. Maybe religion will overpower and bomb their freedom. I don't know, but what I do know is because of Francis Scott Key's act of compassion, his act of justice, act of bravery, his friend is free, but he's also stuck watching all his other friends miles away being bombed and destroyed by the ship he is stuck on because he went there to set his buddy free. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, I mean, he felt the same way. He came to earth to set us free. And then while he's on earth, he says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, murderer of prophets, killer of the ones who brought you God's news. How often I've ached to embrace your children the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you won't let me. And God shows up and he, and he negotiates. And now he's on the very ship and he's watching religion destroy people like Bono said. And he's, so he calls to his people. And now that's all of us to anyone who wants to believe, to, to call on his name. He says he will call them children of God for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, John three sixteen, right? That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So he calls us out today and says, man, I, I want to embrace you like a, Hen does with her chicks under her wings. I'm, I'm thinking of a story that I don't remember if I read it or if I heard about it, but it was a very popular story growing up. But, you know, there was an old barn that burned down and a farm was checking out all the damage and he sees this charred remains of a hen and he kicked it over and all of a sudden all these chicks begin to run out from underneath her. I mean, that hen, when she put those, those wings around those chicks, saved them from death. And that's what God did. He, he's saying, Jerusalem, man, I want to save you from the bombing. I want to protect you from all that. 
just like Francis Scott Key, Jesus is watching his shell-shocked friends being bombed and destroyed from the ship, from earth, from our lives, the very ship that he chose to come to and still live on with his spirit. He still lives here. He still lives and abides in me. The Bible talks about in John that he says to abide in me, remain in me, make yourself at home in me as I do in you. He's still on my boat. He's still on my vessel. He's still on my ship. So last night while I'm watching those fireworks, I'm almost in tears. I'm almost in tears now, actually, thinking about how these awe-inspiring works of splendor that we call fireworks exploding overhead. One after another, after another, after another, they just keep on coming. And some of them haven't even finished their lighting up before other ones are being lit up. How they represented what happened originally, which was a bunch of other awe-inspiring bombs of fear, terror, and destruction. But now it's years later. And now we can celebrate them. You know why? Because back then they didn't quit and they won. We won because they won. We can now celebrate that scary day for our ancestors and see the Spangled Banner still waving in our lives today. We started out the night last night with uh, doing the national anthem and everyone's sitting down, you know, enjoying their junk food and their drinks and their, you know, they had all these pop-up tents and grills everywhere. But but when they started singing the national anthem, we stood up, man, you know, and that, that we're still giving honor and tribute to that Star Spangled Banner that's that's still waving. And it was so scary Hundreds of years ago, right? But today it's a celebration and it's a party. And your scary day today will one day turn into a celebration of freedom for you as well if you don't give up. And not only that, just like our ancestors didn't give up. And so all of a sudden now we experience the freedom. Well, not only will it turn into a day of celebration for your freedom, but also for all those generations that come behind you. I mean, you think about how many people in life that have given up and all of a sudden their ancestors down the road have to pay a price because they give up. But if you don't quit, not only will you see a victory and be able to celebrate that scary day at one point. I mean, I think about a lot of times, a lot of the scary stuff that have happened to me, and I'm so grateful in the same way that I can be grateful for the soldiers that have paid their life so that I can experience freedom. There is a, there is something about that, man. There's a warmth in me because of the price that they had to pay. And I can only imagine how scary it is for them. And I can only imagine how scary it is for some of you happy lifers out there that are listening right now. But if you don't quit one day, you're going to be able to celebrate and, and light off other fireworks that are going to remind you of those original fireworks. And you're going to be a person that's going to sit in thanksgiving and sit in gratefulness and just sit like I did last night watching those fireworks just going, I'm still here. My banner is still waving. I'm going to be okay. And if you look closely, I bet you can see your freedom waving right now. When the bombs go off, when the rocket's red glare goes off, let the glare from that shine so that you can see that your banner, that your freedom is still waving. It hasn't disappeared. That flag is still there and it's still hanging there, blowing in the breeze. It might be shredded by the bombs of life, but it's still hanging there and it's still blowing and you will only see it in the glare of the bombs and the rockets around you. So I know it's scary, but hold on. There is still hope waving in the breeze it might not feel like much of a flag anymore it might be torn to shreds but it is still there they haven't lowered it no your flag is still there it's still blowing in the breeze your hope is still there your freedom 
is still there. So don't quit, Freedom Fighter. Don't quit. Because we need you. You need you. Your children need you. And the future generations need you. I hope that helps. Remember, life isn't perfect, but it can be happy. Steve Ace.